Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we go back to our discussion on conspiracy and ask, what do the more Eastern philosophical texts say about these ideas? We begin the show by highlighting the potential exclusion of some information from the public sphere and our responsibility to search for what may yet to be known. We discuss astrology and the age of Aquarius very briefly. In addition, we dive into Taoist and Zen philosophers Lao Tzu and Chuangzi, in addition to the Zen poet Iku from Lao Tzu. I cannot tell if what the world considers happiness is happiness or not. All I know is when I consider the way they go about attaining it, I see them carried away headlong, grim and obsessed, in the general onrush of the human herd, unable to stop themselves or to change their direction, all the while they claim to be just on the point of attaining happiness. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. Okay, so we're doing, this is kind of like um, a, a commentary episode, a different kind of an episode, but a little bit of a callback to a previous episode. So we had our uh, WTF is going on here series, kind of about the explosion of conspiracy within the culture. And that was more sort of a deeper dive into the psychology of what make, makes people vulnerable to those things. Not just like a talking heads kind of a thing where people just pontificate, but we wanted to do a, hopefully something that was more informed, right? And uh, was thought provoking to understand those tendencies of the people around us kind of as a, uh, a matter of compassion for other people, but also hopefully that we learn some stuff about ourselves too. What mm -hmm. might, what make what? might make us vulnerable to those kinds of things in our own lives. But what was interesting to me, Daniel, uh, was that one of the first points was that you don't really need a QAnon or any other politically based theories left or right or center because there are just a shit ton of conspiracies going on like all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was our opening. And we kind of listed a ton of them, political, economic, and religious. And we kind of went through them. And so what you sort of realize is there is a kind of an ongoing kind of conspiratorial thing happening. And what I thought would be interesting, you know, we talked this through, we both agree would be interesting in this episode is to see what, what, what does spirituality say about that? Mm -hmm. What does Taoism, Tantrism, Zen have to say about this problem, you know, of this ongoing kind of perpetual conspiracy that, you, again, you don't need any special subreddit chats or something like that. It's just <laughs> completely obvious in the world around you. But anyways, I wanted to give an example, and we talked in the pre-show, and you hadn't heard this, so let me just throw it out there real quick, just mm -hmm. what we're talking about. And this is also just like public service. I, I hadn't heard about this. It's a, almost a buried news story, and that bothers me too, because that's a media thing. It should be on page one. So here's the deal. Um, and people who are interested can look it up and see and CNN just to see the report in it. So it's like it's not reported at all. It's just not being blasted everywhere. So apparently there's a problem with baby food that baby food ingredients can contain up to 91 times the inorganic arsenic, uh, up to 177 times the amount of lead, 69 times the amount of cadmium, five times the amount of mercury that's allowed in bottled water. So there's a tremendous problem going on with the baby food in the, con in the, con in the country. You know, again, we're dealing with America. I don't know how this is in other places. The, uh, the FDA was made aware of this in 2019. No one did anything about it. And from what you were saying, we're both relatively informed people. It's just luck of the draw. You, you hadn't really even heard this story yet, right, Daniel? I had not, no. Yeah, so it's a trip, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and this was knowing fraud. 
it was uh, realized inter uh, intercompany memos showed that they were perfectly aware of these toxic levels of these heavy metals um, in uh, in the food that was being sold, and it was like across the board. So there were four companies that you know complied with requests for testing. It was Gerber, Beechnut, um, uh, Nurture, which sells this thing called Happy Baby Products, uh, Haines Celestial Group, which sells Earth's Best Organic Baby Food. And that kind of hit me too, because it was really across price points too. It wasn't just that it was being dumped into things for people who were poor mm. and afford any better, which of course is like horrific, but mm -hmm. it was just across the board. You know, it didn't matter what the, I mean, what the price point it seemed that the product was, it was just, you know, these things were just flooded with these toxins, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, And so you have, again, the corporate aspect of this, right? Um, and then you also had the governmental part in that, you know, nothing was done on the governmental level, right? Now we could all kind of know the reasons why that would happen, right, Daniel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that there's kind of a revolving door between the corporate sector and the governmental sector. And there's like government uh, being kind of dominated by corporate interests, you know, all these problems that are just, you know, uh, ubiquitous within the culture, right? Mm-hmm. The other weird part was that there were companies that refused to even provide documentation of what was going on internally. So Sprout Organic Foods, Walmart, uh, Campbell Soup Company, which makes plum organics, they just refused to comply. So it makes you wonder what the hell's going on in their shit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have this problem, you know, and, uh, you know, and I was thinking about the episode, this story just crossed my path. And I was like, oh my God, here it is again. Just another example of something like this where do you want to call that a conspiracy? It's it's a kind of a conspiracy, right? Mm -hmm. you know? And so you're kind of like just dropped into this sea of conspiracy. And in the other episode, we were basically saying, okay, so if all this is going on, why not believe something like QAnon? Obviously, we're not saying that at all. But there is the thing that like for all of us, we're all kind of tossed into this scenario where on some level or another, there's a, a kind of a conspiratorial thing happening where there's these machinations going on that are uh, harmful and negative for people. And it's just an ongoing problem. So um, we wanted to try to talk a little bit about this, what, what the response is of the spiritual traditions to this. This is the, the, the twist for this episode, spirituality with a twist, to try to go in and see, okay, what's going on in terms of how these spiritual traditions talk about these things. And it, I think that's the first realization is just the idea that you kind of have to recognize that this is going on that there is a kind of a, a way in which there's a socio-cultural system of conspiracy that's just kind of there, not in the paranoid level, right? Like, cause you don't have to be paranoid about this. You could just read your normal news stories and know that this is true, right? Yeah. For those people who are interested in looking this up, you could just do a simple Google search, right? Baby food, heavy metals, and you'll find it on today.com, oversight.house.gov, which is a governmental website. Uh, parents.com, CNN, like New York Times. It's, 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 uh, not a, it's not a, a small thing, but it's also not talking point, you know, on yeah, the, yeah. it's not leading, it's not leading things. And I think to, to Eric, to your point there, you can say, okay, well, who was in charge during that? What, what administration was in charge during that point? Right. And whether you're, you know, pro, uh, pro 45 or anti 45, we could definitely say that their um, views on government were to be as minimal as possible. So that's a problem, number one. So for those who want to blame government, this is a very good way in which you can use as your basis to do so. However, for those who want to say that, well, oh, corporations are going to save us, this is the way, this is, you know, capitalism, yada, yada. This is a place in which if there is no oversight, People are going to do what they're going to do, which is cut corners and make money. And so it's left to us to really to kind of consistently have our eyes and ears peeled for things that get slipped through the cracks, whether they be on accident or with nefarious purposes. So um, conspiracy or not, there are things that are always happening in life that require deeper insight and, and more deeper penetration for our, our minds and our uh, you know rays of attention in order to be able to find the, the relative truth for ourselves, you know, and, and then with once armed with that truth that we make our own decisions on what we want to do. 
yeah, armed with the truth to make this, your own decisions of what you want to do. That seems like the, the mission, mission state behind this kind of conversation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah, the moral of the story. I was, you know, the media thing bothered me too, just being honest, because as a parent, right, you know, you want that shit on page one. Mm -hmm. That should be like blaring across the cover of, you know, whatever the New York Times is for that day or something. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's like a kind of like a semi-buried story, like stuck in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you talk about news you can use, why isn't that being said in a more, you know, uh, tr a trumpeted way? That's a pun, <laughs> you know, but that should be out there, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. People should be hearing that, you know, and it's instead, and, and you can't ignore the fact that like uh, the Washington Post is owned by the guy who owns uh, uh, Amazon and so on. So we're in the midst of this, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in a way, you know, uh, one of the things I think is like an interesting thing to think about with this is that you have a macro level of this, which we all are getting aware of now, right? And there's an argument, there's kind of like a, uh, a spiritual kind of almost astrological thing, you mm -hmm. know, where, uh, you know, again, you can believe in astrology or not believe in astrology, but one of the things that astrology is going to say is that, you know, there's the whole famous, we're moving into the age of Aquarius, <laughs> mm. right? The old hippie, old hippie thing, right? And, uh, but what that age of Aquarius kind of means is that you're going to get a whole explosion in technology, if you understand your astrological theory, and people are going to communicate a lot, and people are going to start to like challenge and rebel against social systems that are, that are um, unfair, right? And that's kind of like part of the meaning of what that's about, right? So we're moving from what was the age of Pisces, which was more mystical systems, which, you know, Daniel and I love, but can in some ways like the downsides of Pisces energy is supposed to be that it can lead to like uh, delusion and uncertainty, right? And the Aquarian thing is supposed to be this explosion of intercommunication technology and also like recognition of where things are afoul and they want to be challenged, right? It has its dark sides too, as everything has their dark sides. So the dark side of the Aquarian thing is people get polemical and they get stubborn and they get, uh, I suppose, in a sense, tribal, maybe, in the sense that they kind of go in with their own beliefs and they, they become wedded to them in a way that is potentially dangerous. But on the positive side, this is what's happening. So you can see this kind of on this macro level happening, right? You don't have to believe any of this astrological stuff at all, but you know, just to use it as a, as a way to get into the conversation, that is happening, right? There's no doubt that that's what's going on. You feel mm -hmm. that way too? There's just this explosion of awareness where there yes. wasn't the awareness before. Well, right, and that's, you know, internet, cell phone use, like all that kind of stuff is keeping people connected in, in a way that they haven't been before. Pros and cons with that, obviously. Um, and, and we'll go back to my, my boy, Terrence McKenna. He was, I was listening to him give a talk the other day and, and he said that when he had a, a psychedelic experience that went awry and he did everything right, or at least everything he thought was right, good preparation, you know, body was healthy, good setting, good mindset, and it still was off the rails and very difficult and whatever he was forced to then look at the astrological factors and say, well, this was, uh, there's obviously some larger forces in, in, at play that I just don't know. I'm just, I'm just unaware of. And so I think whether or not somebody believes in these kinds of things, I think we probably can all agree that sometimes there are things that we are just not aware of that are occurring, right? And for those conspiratorial folks, this is part of it. And it's not always a nefarious man or woman behind a curtain. Sometimes there are literal magnetic or, you know, whatever energetic forces that are moving that are affecting us. So, I mean, if for people who don't even believe this, okay, we'll just speak to you for a moment. The moon has effect on women's menstruation cycles. This is not woo woo. This is for real. And the moon has effect on the ocean, the, the, the you know, movement of water on, on the earth. Well, all of us are 70, 70, 75% water. So how is it that it only affects water that's, you know, contained within a, a, a lake or an ocean or a stream and not contained within skin? So, um, you know, there, there's some, there's some forces that we're just not all aware of. Surprise, surprise. We don't know everything. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's like, I mean, we're not doing the whole thing on astrology. We probably could, right? Yeah, maybe maybe we guess we could have on. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, I thought it was bullshit. And at a certain point, I changed my mind. Agreed. Yeah, me too. Speaking to the people who think it's bullshit, that's all fine. You can think it's bullshit. I totally. don't got an issue with that. I'll go. But like, regardless, this is happening. Right, right. <laughs> what the theory says should be happening is happening. Yeah, they have yeah. nothing to do with any of this stuff. 
-hmm. But just as a way of illustrating the point, this is going on. So on this macro level, there's this just kind of like unmasking that's happening and it's painful, Mm. right? It's a painful time for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for, you know, like you look from the spirituality point of view, I think what will make the case is that from the spiritual point of view, people have been making this observation for millennia that this is going on. Now it's happening in a more mass scale, right? Yeah. Um, but the other point I wanted to make about this was that this also, in a certain sense, trickles down into the micro level of our lives. So if you really sort of think, okay, there's something really kind of going wrong on this kind of big picture macro sociocultural level, you know, there's another side to that that I think is part of what our whole deal is about here too, which is that it affects our lives, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it goes down to our lives as individuals, you know? And this could be on a spiritual level. This could be how we think about our personal lives, how we think about our work lives, you know? What really hit me about this is when we were first putting this thing together, we were talking about rescripting your life was one of the phrases that we were, wrote mm-hmm, down to try mm-hmm. to capture ideas. Or, you know, we used the roomy thing too in some of the first episodes, right? Writing your own myth, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the questions that raises is why do we have to do that? Why do we have to rescript our lives? Why do we have to write our own myth? Why not just like follow the myth that's there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or why not just like take the script up and just run it out? And there's an answer. The answer is because that that's not going to work for a lot of folks, right? Because there's something potentially pathological in that for us too. So if it's pathological on the macro level, well, then some of that's probably going to be pathological on the micro level. Mm-hmm. Or at least pathological in a way for uh, some of us who are allergic to it, right? We can't tolerate those heavy metals in our baby food. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, I think that was, that was kind of the idea of this. So, you know, it's, 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 it's on both levels. Mm-hmm. And so I know in a very personal way, this is, this was really important to me. You know, we try to go personal on GNT. And I think for me, I, I had this recognition and uh, what it did to me was it, it drew me to those spiritual traditions that were a little bit more iconoclastic, that were a little bit more rebellious, that were a little bit more heterodox. And that's what we're trying to share, I guess, through the show, yeah, right? Yeah, that those yeah. are, there are those spiritual traditions that try to question these things, right? In a very like uh, appointed way, right? I think that's probably true for you too. I mean, that's definitely true for me. I was, just, I was looking for those things that were like that. Correct. Yeah, I would say I didn't I didn't look for them in particular. Um, But, you know, so I'll start one and I'll go back. So I didn't look for them in particular. It just happened to be that, like, that's what I was drawn towards. And from the point of view, it's I believe it's only, you know. Heterodox because we're looking at it from our perspective, which is a perspective outside of these traditions. But if we were within these traditions, then it would just be kind of. That's how the life, that's how life would be. But I do want to say for those people who, you know, may be listening or, you know, whoever you, if you might share with somebody who disagrees on some level, there is also something to be said about having strong faith. It's good to have, it's good to have faith and it's good to have beliefs. Simultaneously, it's also okay to question them and, and to, to, to see not to, not in a way to test your faith, but to see how deep it goes. You know, to really like ask yourself, is this what I believe really, really? And I think for me, maybe more specifically, that's how I have adopted consciously a lot of these teachings is because I have questioned and I have tested them and I have tried to, you know, burn them and cut them as they say in the, in the teachings. And they have, they have proven to be true and they have given me more insight into this quote unquote reality than other things have. And so therefore I feel a kinship with them because I feel like they're speaking to me at a level in which I can understand, or maybe even above my understanding. Therefore I have to work and change myself to be able to understand even what they're saying more deeply, as opposed to just saying, believe what I'm saying, trust me, trust me. And I can maybe trust you as a person, but I have to, in order for me to, to, to take it in personally, I have to really run it through the ringer to, to let it lay on my heart as a belief of my own, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, you know, in Buddhism, they have this way of talking about different mindsets, right? And they list some of them as positive, some of them as negative and some of them as neutral. And it's interesting because faith gets listed in the neutral camp, right? Cause it just kind of depends on how much have you looked at it, mm-hmm. at it? How much have you questioned it? And how much is it being presented towards things that you've really fully understood and are worthwhile, like carrying that faith, right? Mm-hmm. Like it kind of raises that point. 
I guess the other part that hit me about what you were talking about is, yeah, I think, yeah, for me, it was, I wanted to study what I thought seemed true to me, mm-hmm. no matter what it was, it could be some Einstein physics thing that seemed true. It could be things in our field of uh, Chinese medicine that seemed true, yeah. right? It could be things in spiritual traditions that seemed true, but it was also true for me that if you weren't questioning in this way, the world around you or the system of the traditions were tr- questioning the world in a way that seemed necessary to me, right? Then that probably wouldn't seem true to me. Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't even know if I was, it's good what you're, it's good the way you put it. I don't know if I was even looking for this specifically, but those things that seemed true were making that point, you know? Right. Yeah. So, okay. So I, you know, just for the discussion point uh, of doing this, it seems like we can start talking a little Taoism first because the Taoists sure. are great for talking about this point. So if you don't know too much about this, we haven't done a lot of Taoist stuff in our particular little podcast thing so far. So this is kind of a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing called what they call philosophical Taoism, which is Taoism, um, old school, early parts of Chinese culture, and it has a lot of these great writings. They're not even specifically meditative exactly. There's a lot of stories and allegories and poetry and um, uh, I guess philosophy, you know, yeah, some metaphysics, yeah. but yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not like, here's how you meditate or something. It's, it's more sort of a way of looking at the world and really famous in this is the really famous Tao Te Ching, which is the most commonly translated work mm-hmm. from Chinese and other languages. And it's just a great old collection of little short Chinese poetic essays. You know, each chapter, it has 81 chapters because the Chinese like the number nine. So it's nine times nine gets you to 81. They could have did nine, they could have did 99, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, party like it. Uh, so um, so in any case, like it's like these, these, this, this thing and each chapter might be like a page and a half. But what I wanted to just share a little bit and uh, see what you think about the story too, Daniel, is the famous story of the author of this book, the Tao Te Ching, who's this character named Lao Tzu. And Lao Tzu is, is supposed to be head of the Imperial Library most of the time when you hear this story. And at a certain point, he just got disgusted what was going, what was going on in the social world around him. He had just kind of like had enough up to here. And in the story, he just goes and says, well, that's it, y'all. I'm out of here. You know, see you later, Gators. And he's just going to escape, right? There's a rejection that happens here, right? And he makes a decision to just leave China because it's, it's too messed up. It's too corrupt. Uh, and, uh, the way the book even gets written, it's kind of with these great old Chinese stories where he gets to the Western gate, which is, you know, s- certainly symbolic. He's riding off into the sunset or something, right? And uh, there's the guard at the, at the gate out of China who says, you can't just leave us hanging. You know, you gotta do something for us. <laughs> he was a solid. So he's considered to like, just jot down all the Tao Te Ching, just like kind of like on the spot, <laughs> which happens in a lot of old uh, traditional stories. But anyways, that's how he writes the book. But the whole idea of the story is that it's someone recognizing that the sociocultural uh, system has kind of gone off the rails, right? And I think throughout all Taoism, then there is this recognition that that is a, just a, a major thing. It's a major problem, right? And uh, part of spirituality is seeing that, is seeing that thing. Does that make sense to you too, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, 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 that thread is, throughout many different spiritual traditions. I mean, if you look at the, the Indian tradition and the, the, the idea of the charnel grounds, right? The, the sadhus and the, the spiritual practitioners who live and practice in essentially what are cemeteries or where they would burn bodies. And they, they live there, you know, and they, they cover themselves and they're naked and they cover themselves in ash. And it's the, you know, one of many ideas, but one of it is to leave the ideas of normal society at the wayside and just dip yourself into the, the space between living and dying and detaching yourself from all the things that are creature comforts for most other folks. Well, I think in India, it's, it's partially like a rejection of the caste system, mm-hmm. right? You have this sort of corruption within the culture that tries to say that people are intrinsically unequal in these ways, right? And the spiritual tradition responds to that. And now in our situation, maybe that's like, wow, there's some corruption going on. Governmental, mm-hmm. economic, all these things are happening. And there has to be a recognition, a spiritual response to it. 
there's still it it's, it's still a caste system here it just yeah that's you know, right that's right yeah, it's true. yeah we can get into that but not right now yeah no it's true it's still a caste system yeah on multiple on multiple dimensions right yes yes um so you know what hit me about this when we were like you know knowing that we were going to do this episode i was going through it in my head and i thought well we're going to do some episodes where we're finally going to start talking about sexuality and we got some relationship episodes coming up too but i couldn't help thinking without this recognition on a macro level and then how it influences your life on a micro level until you see this i began to realize you could do all the episodes on sexuality or relationships that you want you have to like see this thing it almost ends up being kind of like a primary epiphanous thing that has to be seen and then the horses can get on the track and you can start mm -hmm. kind of seeing what other things you can do with your life but i, I guess i feel really strongly about that mm -hmm. and i think that's and that's that's created or born from my own experience of this mm -hmm. but i i think that this is uh something that these traditions are saying all right so i thought i'd do a quote from another one of these great old uh chinese uh philosophical taoists uh chuangzi chuangzi is probably most famous for people in the states if you've heard him, uh, of him at all he has this little parable about i was asleep and i dreamt i was a butterfly and now i've woken up and uh, I'm Chuangzi, but wait a minute. <laughs> am I a butterfly who's now dreaming that I'm Chuangzi or am I a Chuangzi who dreamt he was a butterfly? <laughs> so, it's kind of a great old thing. And it's, uh, uh, it's deep, right? It mm. has a lot to do with like relativity of perception and how things are illusory, not only in the dream, but in the world around you. It's, it's, it's a beautiful little bit of Chinese, Chinese poetic imagery, right? Mm -hmm. But he has this thing that goes like this. And you know, it was trippy. I was like, uh, I was sharing this with uh, one of our former podcast guests, Justin Key, who's a personal friend. And he was like, wow, when was this written? And I was like, well, it's written like 2,500 years ago. And he's like, shit, you know, that people were writing this 2,500 years ago. So there's two of them that are kind of like, I guess, stunning for us as 21st century Americans, I think. So we'll see what you think, Daniel. So mm -hmm. Chuangzi says, I cannot tell if what the world considers happiness is happiness or not. All I know is that when I consider the way they go about attaining it, I see them carried away headlong, grim and obsessed in the general onrush of the human herd, unable to stop themselves or to change their direction. All the while, they claim to be just on the point of attaining happiness. And I thought, damn, that is like so like dead on the mark mm -hmm. you know, for someone writing that long ago. So what you could really could say would be like a quintessential American problem, right? It looks mm -hmm. just like how people look now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was talking with somebody about it and he was talking about his dad and his dad was working in uh, government and um, uh, kept saying, okay, at one point I'm gonna get out of this shit and I'm gonna like buy my Winnebago and I'm gonna drive mm -hmm. around the country, <laughs> you know? And it kept mm -hmm. going on year after year and decade after decade. And by the time he actually bought the Winnebago, he was an older guy and he was like, it sat in the, it sat in the driveway, mm -hmm. you know? He drove it from, you know, where we were at around in the Midwest to like, I don't know, someplace up in Wisconsin. And then it like came back to the lot and eventually traded it in on something else, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a quintessential human problem, you know? And I think the whole idea of like being caught in this onrush of what the, what a social cultural tradition produces in people and drives people to do and you're, it has a certain momentum to it. It carries you along. And then all the time you're thinking, okay, at some point I'm going to be able to change this shit around and I'm going to be able to get some more happiness. But yeah, what Chuang's just saying, like I watch and unfortunately for so many folks, that thing never happens. So I know kind of an amazing quote. Mm -hmm. It's a trip that some dude in China wrote that all, all those years ago. You feel that way too about it? It's oh, with, out, yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, there's, there's a, a high, I don't have the, the statistics in front of me, but there is a high incidence of uh, early heart attack and death amongst men who retire from the military because oh. they, you know, they work and work and do their thing. And then they're overworked or I don't know what the case is, but then when they're done, like they have this sort of gap. So they have to do something else. You have to kind of find another career or another something else to get yourself into. Cause if you don't, the likelihood of you not of you lasting for a long time is not very high actually. Um, and so I, I think it's one of these things where it just uh, it, it's highlighting the importance of 
happiness now, you know, of being now, right? I know we kind of kind of joke about the idea of being in the moment because um, you're always in the moment, right? <laughs> but yeah, like- you want to be or not. <laughs> right. But realistically, it is to say that like being conscious of where you're at in the totality of your existence is extremely important, you know, and not just grinding yourself away to the day that may come at some point where you can do X, Y, or Z. You might be so old at that point that you can't even enjoy the thing that you want to enjoy at that time. And I don't know. I mean, it, this, this is cuts really at, at the heart to what we're doing, which is trying to get people to ask questions, just, just question, you know, whatever you find is yours, but at least if you can ask and, and give yourself an opportunity to, to open your perspective or change it or deepen it, then it's worthwhile doing. This thing about the headlong, grim and obsessed general onrush of the human herd. I mean, that sounds pretty harsh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I mean, I think what you end up having to say in the end is like, yeah, there is this pressure in this rush to live your life in a certain way and you got to rescript it. You got to reinvent it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. The other big one I thought, because we've talked a lot about the impact of technology on the show too, right on our little podcast, right. Mm -hmm. uh, this is impacting people. That was certainly part of our what the fuck is going on here conspiracy theory episode. Mm -hmm. But you know, we've, we've called this out in different ways at different times. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, here's something from Chuangza on this. And again, this is like 2,500 years ago. Okay, he says, I've heard my teachers say, where there are machines, there are bound to be machine worries. Where there are machine worries, there are bound to be machine hearts. With a machine heart in your breast, you've spoiled what is pure and simple. And without the pure and simple, the life of the spirit knows no rest. Mic drop. Mm. Boom. That's 2,500 years ago. This dude is saying this. So where are we at now with this? Mm -hmm. So crazy that they were on this, right? And that you know, human beings have become dominated by these external forces, right? And you know, when you start talking about, you know, in Chinese medicine, the heart is where you store your psyche. It's a metaphor, right? A machine mm -hmm. heart. The same word for heart also means mind. It also means the part of the body where sort of the heart is, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you say you have a machine shin, a machine heart, you're talking about a machine mind too. That's a trip, right? Mm -hmm. That he wrote that so long ago. So but definitely calling out something that, you know, uh, we're going to have to deal with now all as like 21st century folks. How do you free yourself from this? And I, it reminds me of not not exactly, but it reminds me of something that one of my teachers um, says, and it's, it's related to this, but not exactly. But I'm just being reminded of it now. He said he's always says like, whatever you own owns you. So mm -hmm. you want the big house? Okay, go for it. Good for you. That house owns you now. You have to work and produce just to continue to pay on everything. You know, same thing with the car. Same thing with fashion. Same thing with everything. You know, same thing with your pets and your you know loved ones. I mean everything. Um, and there's a there's a beauty around it because it's connecting everyone and kind of putting back into the cycle of life and the cycle of economic life. But on the other hand, if you're looking at it just as a as you know, speaking of machines in a mechanistic view, you are in this gear. You're getting ground, you know, until at some point that thing doesn't own you. You technically own your house 30 years later, you know, or you own your car after all the payments are made and they don't care about you any longer and the car has lost so much value, you know, like. It's just, uh, it's, it's just, um, you know, yeah, it's deep. Yeah. And the weird part is it could sound, okay, so the capper on this to me is, you know, you could say these things and this could just sound kind of depressing, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there's kind of like a hidden thing happening in Taoism for sure. So, and I don't know if everyone always says it this way, <clears throat> but I guess I'll try to, and we'll see what you, how you, how you verbalize this too, Daniel, right? So I, I guess I'll tell one more little uh, Chuangza tale, right? So he has this story of the horse trainer who ironically enough happens to be named Polo. <laughs> I don't know how that worked out in the Chinese. It probably sounds silly in Chinese too. So there's this guy who's the horse trainer whose name is Polo and Polo is given 10 horses. And Chuangza makes a big deal of explaining this. Polo is considered by the world to be the expert in horses. And the story goes that he starts training the horses in the first week and three of them die because he brands them and he forces them into bit and bridle and he makes them do all these things. And then it continues on the next week and another two horses die. And then by the third week, he's doing the same thing. Two more horses are dead. 
by the end of the story, he has like three horses left of the 10. He has 30% of the horses. He's killed 70% of them. And then Chuangzi ends with, yes, and Polo is considered to be the expert in horses. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like kind of like snap, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, um, so, yeah, what's kind of being said in that, and this is the oddly optimistic part, is on the one hand, you have you have the world, and he's really talking about sort of a sociocultural world, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of trashing people by forcing them to be things that they really aren't, right? Mm-hmm. Not giving them to be the chance to be who they are, right? And so in those situations, the horses just can't make it. Um, and maybe, you know, the metaphors are dying, but maybe that isn't in human beings that people are dying, but just that they fall into bad versions of themselves, you know, pathological versions of themselves that, you know, uh, okay, so that's the idea of it, right? But on the other hand, and this is the hidden positive part in these Taoists, there's another world that's kind of beyond and transcendent, right? And then in the Taoist thing, you can say nature, right? If you can get around these things and find your way back to the nature, because the horses on the, in and of themselves can, can do just fine, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? They don't need polo <laughs> mm-hmm. to tell them how to be. They can find their own way as horses and find their own expression of who they are. If they can just find their way around this thing, you know, or be allowed to find their way around these th- this thing. But maybe as human beings, we have the initiative to find our way around these things. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can find our way back to nature. Or I think for the point of our show, like uh, G&T spirituality with a twist, you can find your way to another way of looking at the world, another way of experiencing the world, another way of being in the world. That's there. That's a part of reality, too. You know, our world isn't just the world of Polo, the horse trainer, right? Or the machine hearts or, you know, the, the, the stumbling on rush where everyone's trying to find a happiness that they just don't seem to be able to find given the rules that they've been given. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find your way to this and that world exists, right? There's a world that is also there that is a natural world. If you want to use Taoist language or a, or a GNT spiritual world, if you want to use what we're calling the natural world for our show. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. you can find your way back to that. So it really isn't just to say this is all crap and you're screwed. You know, if that was the case, it wouldn't even be it wouldn't be even worthwhile having a podcast. <laughs> no, we could just have one episode uh-huh. that would be thirty five seconds. Right. It's crap. You're screwed. Okay, thanks. We're out. <laughs> you know, that would we wouldn't need to do this. But there is another place you can find your way to, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose of having the stories, right? To give the people a little shake. Mm-hmm. That says, yeah, you can find your way back to this other way of being, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I think that's that's how I that's how I think about it. And I know if anyone, everyone, if other people say it exactly that way, but I think that's the implication of Taoism. You know, there is another level of reality that is more rich and meaningful, rewarding and edifying, probably more true to the nature of who you are, and you can find your way back to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's right. Uh, honoring the honoring reality. And the difficulties that that exist in in society, because um, we're not naive, and but then also saying that like it's up to us to then hopefully question that that paradigm, right? And the things that were given to us. And look, I I have conversations with people all the time about this kind of stuff because it's interesting. You know, and I think, you know, in between the different political parties, they will also have their own ideals as to what, you know, how how does this look for people? And some people will say, well, everybody has equal amount of opportunity and they got to pull themselves up and and make it happen. And other people will say, well, some people are given a shittier end of the stick and we have to help them out. And, you know, they don't have to be exclusive. Some people do have the shorter end of the stick for sure. And there's no doubt about it. Denying that is, is truly denying reality. And simultaneously, there is a bit of personal responsibility that everybody has to their own life um, and trying to make themselves the you know most efficient version of themselves as possible. And if you have the influences on your life, whether it be emotionally through different people that you meet or spiritually through different teachings or things that you may have read or heard or people or economically, because we certainly know people who are just economically blessed, um, it doesn't make everybody have an equal opportunity to really give themselves the moment to change their perspective. 
right, to ask these tough questions. So if you're in a state that you can do that, understand you're in a state that has been viewed upon positively since at least 2,500 years ago. Yeah, there's a positive way of like looking at what the possibilities are within this, right? It's, you know, you're, you're right. If you don't look at this realistically, then then you're just being Pollyanna-ish might be the phrase for that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, this isn't looking at not realistic. You know, this is looking at this realistic, mm -hmm. but it's also saying, okay, let's see this realistically. Let's not just like collapse and despair in the face of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's kind of recognize that there is another style, another way of living and not probably a whole another element of reality, right. That we can tap into and live our lives in more meaningful ways. And then you get to the, the whole idea of compassion, not only just for ourselves, but like you can help other folks too then. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're, you're, then you're, then the train is really rolling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and this, this sort of stands at some of the, um, Stands, I don't know about at odds, but it does stand in, in difference to the a lot of the new age kind of spirituality speak with about, you know, creation, manifestation and making your life the way in which you want it, which you should do, which you can do, which is great. But it is a sort of me centered view of the universe, right, that I'm going to make it for what I want. And the universe is infinitely abundant and it can provide anything for everybody. And those who can't do what I am doing, it's just up to them to learn. But it's not such a, but, but looking at it so reductionistically is not viewing the totality of where we are and the, and the karmic forces that have put us here and the even astrological forces, if you want to give credit to those, they're proper due. And the idea of having compassion, you know, means you're doing that for yourself, but you're also actively trying to do it for other people directly and indirectly. Well, I know for myself, I could never, I could never believe just personally, it wouldn't seem true to me. And any kind of a spiritual system that said that I was going to go, what's that? What do they call that Joel Olstein kind of Christianity? The prosperity, gospel? prosperity gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, we love we love to poop on that. <laughs> if I had a poop, if I had a crap button, I'd push it like five times right now. You know? yeah, yeah, we need a soundbite especially just for that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, like that kind of a thing, I it just that's just not true. And I've never met, I've never seen a spiritual tradition that seemed true to me that would say anything like that because you know that that part of the world, you know, it's, uh, it involves what Kwanzaa is trying to say. <laughs> well, probably won't, won't work out for you. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the truth of it, you know? So, uh, so again, we've been doing this the whole time. Not like you can't, you have the conditions of your life and you have to handle your responsibilities. You have to do these things. Yeah. But you know, if you're really talking about happiness for yourself and happiness for others, I mean, I'm a parent, even for my kids, I had to like, tell them like, hey, look out for this part of life, mm -hmm. right? Be aware, this is not where you're going to really find your happiness, you know? And uh, I think, you know, my 18 year old is doing great, even during the pandemic, she's doing all right, you know? Um, uh, and in part, because I think she came to some of this on her own and some of this through conversations between the two of us, you know? And I think that's been an important thing, even as a parent, if you love your kids, you know, mm -hmm. you know say to them, hey, you know, you might have to go and find your own happiness. You know, you might have to like script your own life and write your own myth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right, before we bounce, I guess I had one other Zen guy who talks about this really kind of deep. So I thought I'd throw a couple of things out for him before we sure. have to call the episode. So one of my favorite Zen poets is Ikyu, right? Great Zen poet. And I think he warrants like a whole episode where we look at some of his stuff. But mm -hmm. he definitely is aware of again, if we're going to talk about it on the macro and the micro, if there's something that maybe we can help you out to think about in this episode, I certainly know this is helpful for me to think, okay, there's macro levels of this and there's micro levels of this. I can see how this is affecting the world and I can see how this is affecting my life, right? And so for EQ, he definitely has the call on the macro level, right? So he has this poem of his that's called Cancel All Debts. Robbers never strike at the homes of the poor. Private wealth does not benefit the entire nation. Oh, say it again, EQ, preach. <laughs> Calamity has its source in the accumulated riches of the few. Whoa. People who lose their souls for 10,000 coins, period. So uh, period, preach. So he does that, right? And then he also does this other part, again, on the macro level. He has one that's called A Poem of Protest. 
over and over, taking and taking from this village. Starve the farmers and how will you live? Question mark. So he's throwing down obviously on the macro level. And again, this is 500 years ago and he's saying stuff that still is true to the present day. I'm sure we both feel that way, right, Daniel? No doubt about it. Yeah. But then he gets to the personal level too. And it's really kind of one of my, I don't know, my daughter asked me like one point what my favorite poem was. And I was like, well, you're not gonna be able to share my favorite poem <laughs> for your school. She was like, I need a poem for school. He was in like seventh grade. And I was like, you're not gonna be able to say my favorite poem. <laughs> because it's not going to be classroom right. Mm. Here's my favorite one from EQ. It starts with the line, if you don't break the rules, you're an ass, not human. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's talking probably about like a donkey. Um, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it a little bit. It says, uh, passion starts us and comes and goes until death. And I thought, okay, that's like kind of how I feel about this, right? You know, so this is the micro level part. This is the rescripting your life. This is the writing your own myth. You might have to like break out a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So not like breaking the rules just to be a dick or breaking the rules in the way that tries to take advantage of other people or breaking the rules in the way that, you know, is harmful to others, but a recognition that there is a way in which these rules that are written may not be, the, be for the benefit of you or for the benefit of the people around you either, you know? And so that's, a, that's a, a tough thing to think about, I think, for us as 21st century people. Because I think a lot of people we think about breaking the rules or just breaking it just to be assholes, mm -hmm. right? But that's obviously not what he's talking about. He's talking about a critical look at what's going on around you that you then question. And then you realize that you might not, you might not follow those things and you're not really obliged to follow them if they're really not healthy for mm -hmm. yourself and for the people around you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, for let's say parents, right? Because I'm thinking of somebody who I know who listens on a regular basis, who has a couple kids. Um, some of that rule breaking can be just teaching your kids different things on how to approach it different ways. And so you have an effect on society because you're influencing the way that your progeny are going to view the world you know, and that they, they don't have to accept, you know, and it's okay to question, like, it's not wrong. Actually, it's probably more right than not. Yeah, I know when I when I was having my daughter, I actually kind of prayed to have a daughter, I really wanted to have one, of course, I love my son too, you know, uh, my second born, but I really wanted to have a daughter because I thought I want to like, be involved in the raising of a girl who's gonna like, do things her own way, mm. right, see the world her own way you know, and she and I talk a lot, you know, I tell the kids I love them every day, right? That's always going to happen. But I also tell them like, I'm proud of you every day too. And one of the things I always say while I'm proud is because you found your own voice, you found your own self, mm -hmm. right? You found a healthy version of who you are and a world that can be tough on girls, right? Not fair to girls, you know, teenage girls, how are they getting treated in this society? You know, not always so good, right? And she found her own way. And I'm just like very proud of her for doing that, right? And it was, I guess, kind of a fulfillment of what was my prayer in the beginning, right? Mm. To be involved in a girl who would be her own, her own thing and uh, you know, do her own thing. God, there's a story of her back in the day where um, she was in the chat room and there was all these kids in this room. And there was one of these guys who dated one of the girls who wasn't there. And he was just giving her shit and giving her shit, you know? And Alina just stepped out and he was like, uh, you know, she goes to a big, a big high school uh, in Chicago, right? Lane Tech. And uh, this guy was like football player dude or something like that, you know, whatever the social pecking order, he wasn't like a nobody, right? And, um, and she told me about it later. She just said in the chat, like, you're just giving her shit because you have these bad feelings because she dumped you and screw you and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she just like stood up to him right in front of all these other people like right in the chat going on forever where everyone could see it. Right. And I was like, damn girl, <laughs> good mm. for you. Right. You're saying what's true, you know, and you're not afraid to confront people, even in ways where there might be, you know, a little social risk for you. You know, nothing happened. There wasn't any blowback about it, but she called the dude on his shit, you know? And uh, I was like, man, I'm really proud of you. Yeah. Those aren't easy things to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So in the EQ, the last part would be, he even says within Buddhism too. 
so you might say, okay, that's all fine, but then you're going to tell everybody they should follow Buddhism. <laughs> but that's not the thing for him either. No. When he thinks things are going wrong in Buddhism, he'll call it out in Buddhism too, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes he's funny. He'll say things like, uh, uh, don't hesitate, get laid, that's wisdom, sitting around chanting, what crap? <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes he's funny, right? But sometimes he's more serious, right? Where he really calls it out and he says, listen, you know, where there's problems in the Buddhist tradition, I'm not going to leave them uncriticized either, right? And so he has this thing where he goes like, every day priests minutely examine the Dharma and endlessly chant complicated sutras. Before doing that, though, they should, uh, uh, how's he say it? Hold on. They should learn how to read the love letters sent by the wind and the rain, the sun and the moon right mm -hmm. so he's actually pointing to people in his own tradition saying hey you know this isn't always right and perfect either right and then that was i guess he's critiquing kind of a dogmatism right within the tradition that's potentially there yeah but um uh you know i think he's he's willing to call critique and and uh when there's corruption he's willing to call corruption when there's financial shenanigans he's willing to call it in his poetry you know like he's he's it's not, it's not, it's not dogmatism. It's not side choosing, mm. you know, he's basically promoting a questioning way of life, no matter what. Right. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So I think we got like a, a pretty good conversation of what we were trying to say. Yeah. I think there's a couple other things to say. We'll probably slip into some episode up the road when we're talking about something else, but you know, we, I think yeah. it was worthwhile to go through and say, Hey, if you do feel like there's conspiratory elements of the world around you, we have to acknowledge that that's true, right? You can't mm -hmm. have a, a spirituality that's based on shit that isn't true, right? But then also there's a positive response to it, which is that you can find your way to another kind of reality. Yeah. Right? So I think that was a kind of the important follow-up on the conspiracy theory thing. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, if there's any parting shots from you. No, nope, I'll, I'll let you do the sign out, Daniel. I know we got our, we got our time constraints. We could talk about this forever, but we that's got right. the, Yeah. The, the machine world is calling the machine world. <laughs> I got to put my machine parts in <laughs> so I could go, like, you know, cybernetics going. <laughs> that's what I got to put, Matt, you know, whatever, all the things I got to hook my back of my head back into the matrix. Yeah. You know, Anywho's, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we definitely appreciate all the listens. Uh, you know, if you're not already, please do subscribe. Uh, you know, find us on all the places where you find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, I know, Anchor, all the all the you know major ones were definitely on there. Uh, please feel free, and uh, you know we'd love we'd love it if you would share with those who you might find or you think would have interest. Um, for all that, you know, any questions, please send us uh, any emails to gin uh, and tantra at gmail.com you can find it in the show description definitely want to thank everybody for who has tuned in and who may be tuning in in the future for eric this is daniel thanks for tuning in to gin and tantra peace